0: Well, hey, Mr. Wesley Chance.
1: Hi. Uh, it sounds like out there.
0: Well, hey, it sounds like we're all here. Ms. Sarah Miller, can you hear us?
2: I sure can. Can you guys hear me?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you. So this is our first uh, three-person attempt at talking about Harry Potter and the first three chapters of it. So the boy who lived the, what is it, the vanishing glass and and letter the letters from no one and so just as there are three great friends in harry potter it looks like there are three great friends of us now joining over harry potter to explore this territory ourselves
1: right on
2: Right on. very and, exciting
0: yeah and perhaps by the end of this we'll know what we want to call this so the name <laughs> will present itself to us perhaps uh, uh miss sarah miller if you're like the hermione or the professor McGonagall uh character <laughs> Uh, you'll say something pithy, um, something uh, that sticks in our minds, something that uh, <laughs> dominates You might say. Well, then who,
2: if I'm Hermione, who are you guys?
0: Mm. Well, I am thinking about that. With Wes, I thought he was either Luna
1: Lovegood or Professor Prelani. <laughs> <Raleigh. laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do share the birthday of Neville Longbottom and Harry Potter. <laughs> so <laughs> I call Neville Longbottom.
2: <laughs> Our, your birthday is the 31st of July.
1: That's right.
2: Oh, wow. That's auspicious.
1: I know. Very
0: good. We'll have to have a birthday episode then and uh, talk about different ways that birthdays are celebrated in Harry Potter. Well, that's oh, something yeah. really interesting. I know we, we aren't there quite yet, but we are to the birthday of Harry exactly and mm-hmm. and also the birthday of Dudley there's something about these texts where they really do emphasize ritual, like eating dinner together, eating breakfast together, having birthdays, celebrating Christmas. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I just wondered what you thought about that, that, that aspect of these texts that, um, um, even though there seems to be sort of a negative portrayal of order and tradition in the household of Harry Potter, uh, the, the Durs, or yeah, what the Dursley Mm -hmm. household. Right. And, um, But but there's a very positive idea of tradition in order uh, kept alive in Hogwarts. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: and also I was so I was sort of wondering what the differences between those perceptions of tradition were and whether one was like dead and one was alive, one was meaningful and one was meaningless. One attempted to bring about greater creativity and characters and people or one tried to smash it
1: and uh, what that really meant. So I guess the birthday thing that's like the the big day for for Dudley right like he's so excited and um and the whole house like comes alive to to make it a special day for him um but it's quite the opposite for Harry right like his birthday is completely forgotten by everyone but him um and I guess that's you know an open question is like which one to which one of them is the birthday really more important right like um, to the one who has everything, or to the one who has nothing, mm. uh, you know. So
2: that's a. I think that's a great way of formulating a question that Alex, your one of your previous podcasts touched on, which was that Dudley has all of these things, right? But he is effectively worth none of them. Uh, <laughs> While well, we see Harry, like look, his cousins. Um, light up, glow in the dark watch. Right at the end of chapter three, and like counting down the seconds, like marking time until this this day where he says, you know, you only turn eleven once. Whereas, you know, Dudley, his birthday is an an, an opportunity to compare what he got today from what he got last year, like uh, as opposed to taking it for its its value in and of itself. I thought your question, Alex, about um ritual i think is interesting because even again we haven't gotten to hogwarts yet but like even just the act of magic is mm-hmm. ritualized it's it's there's certain incantations there's there's certain ways of formulating language you you move the <laughs> wand a certain way you um you know like the I mean, I and we'll see that later right but this <laughs> yeah. um that it's it's um it's physical action and linguistic execution and 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 within all of those things there's an intentionality behind those actions that make it ritualized and i mean it's from my background in in like appreciating or really loving harry potter as an adult and then also again as a teacher is like what it what ties it potentially offers us to questions of theology. And it's interesting, like the, the sacramentality of some of the rituals in the book um, in contrast to what seems like really hollow or shallow false rituals um, that the, that the Dursley seem to engage in like the, like the birthday presents or the,
0: the, I want to talk about that. That's that's a great point. I really like that because, um, the idea that their ritual is based on a false perception of reality and thus doesn't get the essence of what ritual is supposed to be about, doesn't hit the meaning, strikes me as precisely the mm-hmm. point of why uh, Vernon uh, Dursley is trying to avoid the knowledge that Harry is special, that he is supposed to go to Hogwarts. And so that that those envelopes more and more mm-hmm. come and he has to go farther and farther away to get the same message And he becomes more and more delusional. He sees more and more that his map of reality is not going to cut it. There is a piece of reality trying to force its way into his mind and life. And if he were to just accept it, it might be much um, better. And so that made me connect.
2: Well, isn't that that like... Well, so that just made me connect with
0: your idea that with Dudley, he only ever has everything to lose and nothing to gain. Because he has this sort of saccharine, sweet, mm-hmm. sort of ever-giving mother, sort of this Freudian nightmare mother, Petunia, who's sort of absorbing him into her because she, she gives him everything. She caters to his every need. He doesn't know one at all. He's never had to learn how to acquire what he wants or how to value that which he wants, how to strive mm-hmm. towards that which he wants. So his, in his vision of reality, he just gets everything. So a birthday is just a special opportunity for disaster for him because it can't be a good day because every day he has is already perfect. It can just be a day in which anything can be a perceived imperfection and is thus, uh, you know, it's kind of like I had a bad attitude when I was a baseball player. And so when I went up to hit, if I got a hit, I already expected to get a hit. So it was just fine. But whenever I got out, it was Mm -hmm. like soul crushing and I would get really upset Because I wasn't supposed to get out. I had sort of a little tyrannical perception of how things were going to be, and it's almost as if that's that's sort of Mm -hmm. part of the problem of an over ordered existence without creative change or the logos altering one's uh, current state in order to fit the current environment. That, um, yeah. Well,
2: I I I was just gonna say, like, I think what what he also lacks is like genuine Mm. community. And I think that's like that's where there's a great irony in, to me, in in Vernon Dursley's avoidance of uh, of the letters because I mean logically wouldn't it be great yeah. if Harry got taken away like for them <laughs> wouldn't that be like exactly what they want but 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 if he was taken away and they had to like make all these lies about it it would it would um, in his mind and in Petunia's mind, it would diminish their status or their their relationship to their perceived community, right? But Dudley doesn't have doesn't seem like he has functional friendships, or as you as you point out, doesn't seem like he has a functional relationship with his parents. Like there's no genuine, authentic community based upon the true value of another human being in in, in one's own life. So everything is like a dy- dynamic of power. Um, and, and he seems to be
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. And right. And like, and, and hitting people with it, even his friendship with peers doesn't really seem to be a friendship. And I think that's the, that's where the the question of ritual and the question of, um, you know, satisfaction come into, uh, in into, um, like an interface is that I think genuine ritual ought to draw us towards people. And, um, Dudley's birthday, for example, is designed to set him apart <laughs> from everybody. Like, well, I got 30, <laughs> you know, I got 38 presents. Right. How many did you get? Like, um, uh, it, it, it severs in even him, like himself from his, his you know, his birthday last year, it's designed to constantly, um distance which is another again like a great irony because all they want as a family is to fit in Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting it's and, almost like and... the
0: sin of gluttony as dante perceives it and i'm not trying to cut you out west i want to try and loop you in on this because i know you've been listening a lot is um, yeah that part of the problem of the sin of gluttony is that it misses the symbol of eating right you put as much inside you as possible yeah you fail to understand The point of eating is to give a reason to gather with humans and thus consume their information and thus come closer to each other by sharing parts of your map with each other, which is the most important aspect of your being, sharing your story with others. And thus Mm -hmm. you create a shared story. And when you just focus on the food, that's just the mundane, the crude matter instead of the form. And in fact, with great irony, what is it you lose when all you do is focus on the matter? Well, you lose your form, Mm -hmm. right? So I just thought
1: that was sort of interesting. Mm -hmm. But Wes, what have you been thinking Uh, uh, while you're acquiring all our information? No, uh, (laughs) I wanted to pick up on something that was mentioned. I thought it was a great point, Sarah, what you're saying about spells and incantations being a kind of ritual and uh, how it strikes me that the magic that we see up to this point is all characterized by its mysteriousness right we don't actually see how the magic works yet mm-hmm. and so we're sort of in the position of the muggles when we open this book and we're, we're quickly aligned with this um sort of everyday world which looks on all these strange goings on and is just kind of wondering and scratching our head um we're not quite you know sympathetic with the dursleys who go a step further and know what's going on and don't like it and try very hard to not know what's going on, um, but we but we at least sort of see that there is something mysterious there. There's this this life giving force which we don't understand, which we don't quite have access to yet, and all the magic that we see happen happens without any overt um, activity on the part of of any wizard, right? It's like Harry's running away from his. From And he ends up. Yeah. um, I don't
0: know. Yeah.
1: Can you guys hear me? Sorry.
0: Sorry. Ah, Sirens come in all
1: forms, Miss West Chance. Uh, Sorry. No worries. No, so it's like I was just saying we we see Harry trying to escape his tormentors, and he ends up on the roof of the school building, or we see him. you know, get his hair chopped off one night and wake up the next morning with it all grown back. So he's not like, he's not in control of the magic. It's not yet, it's not yet ritualized. It's just sort of free flowing. Um, it's very interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a great point, Wes, like that. There's some of, some of this magic seems like, um, in like na- not even natural. It's, it's above nature because it wouldn't be natural for your hair to grow in that, in that way. But or for you to all of a sudden end super up on the top natural. of a building but mm-hmm. it seems like supernatural like but in his nature like it beyond his control like not something he thinks about or intentionally uh attempts to achieve but but he's able to do it anyway i, I think yeah. that, that that's an interesting I, I way think to think about what is the if nature y'all of think this, this magic be-
0: here one way of interpreting it, it almost strikes me as if it's the innate potential for creativity or intelligence or production within a human. And that you gotta. and you know, a lot of people talk about this, even though we don't necessarily buy it these days where like you either have it or you don't. And in fact, there is some psychological research suggesting with the big Mm -hmm. five traits, that creativity is something which is inborn that you can't just build into somebody because of course it like hair color and, and uh, size is genetic or has a genetic component. And so it, it strikes me that it's like his inborn creativity or strangeness or key to uniqueness, which sort of manifests itself because he has no training in wild ways. But once he goes to Hogwarts, or you might say like a school that teaches the liberal arts or the arts by which you free your will by structuring your your life in accordance with the good, that what he will learn through these traditional methods and skills and um, and uh, uh, ways of being from the past is how to harness his native potential. And so without the native mm-hmm. potential, no amount of Hogwarts would help him. Of course, not all the muggles go to Hogwarts. Not everybody goes to Hogwarts, uh, just like not everybody is creative. But if you have the spark, learning all of that will help you to focus your abilities or manifest them in the freest possible way. So. It's as if at the beginning of an education mm-hmm. all you have is raw potential and raw talent but you can't make use of it consciously. But at the end of an education, the idea which is why I think they take the owls which is a symbol of wisdom is that you uh, is that you have full control of all it is you have naturally been given. Um, See, that's interesting
1: because hmm. the way or, that oh. Harry's life is saved is mysterious even to Dumbledore, who knows everything yes. about magic. I just find that very, mm-hmm. very striking. That we're prompted to ask what magic is from I, the very start. Go ahead, Jen. Yeah. I
2: was—I was just going to say just to um, just to—I was in fact, Wes. That point. I was just going to say that that even for the the smartest or the most educated or the yeah. most skillful wizard that, that we've met, at least in the first three chapters. Um, there's something about magic that even he either doesn't understand or, um, you know, doesn't (laughs) choose to, to know for some reason, like when, um, Professor McGonagall says, um, you know, uh, or he says Voldemort had powers I will never have. And she says only because you're too noble to use them. Like there seems to be this part of the magic that is beyond either knowledge or, um, f- or there's something about knowing it and using it that is, um, that would transgress the noble, for example. But I, in the beginning, when, um, when like, there's a, a couple words that are in, I think Alex mentioned the, um, the quote about how dangerous imagination yeah. is to the Dursleys. But, but when, um, when the first chapter is describing all of these crazy things that are happening, they're described as Mr. Dursley, Mr. Dursley wonders, or he says, "Huh, most mysterious." Like, and, and it just reminded me. I just finished teaching *The Tempest*, where like the word "strange" is used on like every other page, and that it means different things to different people. It can mean something dangerous. It can mean something unattractive, it can mean something mysterious and unknowable or yet unknown that like, but it's something about like the capacity yes. for wonder. And I don't know if that's if that's related to your um, idea about creativity, but just to, to Wes's point earlier about how like we as readers are basically muggles from the beginning and and we're drawn in, I think given characters who innately don't wonder Um, to make us like, it's really effective storytelling to make us wonder, well, what is it about this thing? And she's almost giving us the tools to like narratively to be um, uh, imaginative um, by presenting us with characters who are, um, who are not.
0: It strikes Um, me, it's it's as if what magic is, is pure nature, unadulterated. And so even the old wise man, Uh, Dumbledore as like sort of a god the father figure that which forms would have the key to forming that which is but not understanding the key to nature or all the mechanics of life because what makes something mysterious it seems to be is that part of it is known because you are hip to the fact that a phenomenon is occurring at that moment but you don't understand the cause of it and that strikes me as sort of the key to what magic is if it's pure embodiment of being in that moment which is partly standing on the known, but also producing in an act of creation, something new. Um, And that's why like say the magic comes out Mm -hmm. of the wand, right? Like a symbol of order still produces something new in the world, which is if you, we think of say the Patronus charm uh, um, uh, is a, a a production or a representation of one's character and strength of magic. So magic strikes me both as pure nature and like, say, the pure creative, as it's embodied by the the spellcaster, which makes it mysterious mm-hmm. uh, and unknowable on one on the one hand, but also uh, to but learnable and knowable on the other. So it's 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 as if it's it's half hmm. chaos, half order, all at once, um, or at least that might be optimal because hmm. you give form to something that you don't fully understand, sort of like your own life,
1: even. Uh, What do you think, Wes? Oh, Oh, uh, well, I was thinking about how uh, um, the way that uh, you were describing that, it it seems like precisely the opposite of the way that the Dursleys perceive the unknown. Rather than perceiving the unknown as something like inherent in themselves, a potential which they need to channel, instead they see it as, well, they think they know the cause, right? They think they know that this is like bad people who are gonna upset their order and and as a and as a result of their um sort of misguided stance on the whole thing, they have it kind of completely topsy turvy um they 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 think mm. that they know what's going on they think that they know that it's bad, and so they take all these steps which just lead to the inevitable you know escape of harry from their from their clutches uh, and it just I, makes I it, it very- worse.
0: And they can yeah, say it just well, gets worse because magic exists, because it haunts them, because they refuse to recognize it, even though it's actually their own. Refusing to recognize it, which makes it worse.
1: Yeah, I, I find it really interesting that um, going back to the community point uh, to, ah. this, to this point in the story, we don't we see that the Dursleys really have no friends at all. Like they have a uh, a relative, like you know, Petunia's lost a sister here, so they just have Vernon's sister left, and she's. Mm-hmm. She's not going to come over and watch Harry, and they've only got this one neighbor, who's who they don't seem to think much of, um, who's you know this broken her big. leg, and they have like no sympathy for her. <laughs> yeah, right. And so and so they just see everyone as sort of like you know tools, like Vernon and his drills, right? So they just um, they really don't have anyone except mm. Harry. Like everyone sort of defines their. Well, of course, everyone in the book is defined in relation to Harry even from their point of view, it seems like they, they don't want him to go away. I think it's a good question. Like, why don't they want this to happen? Well, they don't want him to go away because that's sort of like, that's their thing. Like they get to beat up on him. They get to look down on him and, and they fear him, you know, clearly. So Right, where is the devil?
0: Where is the, the, the thing on which you project the shadow or the figure of the negative unknown if Harry's not there hiding in a little cupboard? It's as if, you know, it's like a chemical process or like shaking up a coke bottle, they're, they're oppressing him as much as possible so that they can project as much evil as possible from themselves onto him so that them and everything in the world is good e- e- except for him. He's the one yeah. thing. And so now that might force them towards a self-recognition. If there's no Harry to oppress, to hate, to blame for all that's wrong in the world, well, poof, all of a sudden, that's a problem. Because where do all the problems in their lives that still are there come from? Potentially from well, Themselves, which will mean rethinking themselves, which is exactly what they don't want to do with their sort of tyrannical, overly organized or orderly uh, thinking or way of looking at the world. Um, and also, if Harry leaves, that's evidence that their worldview is not perfect because something will have changed. Um, though, though change is interesting because they they do seem to accept a certain extent of change, right? Like Dudley is about to go off to prep school, and so is so is Harry. Um, is it? Could there also be an element that if Harry is invited to this school, not only might he be like sort of a freak that might bring uh, infamy onto the name of the uh, the great Dursleys, but is it also that he might have been chosen out for something special and more than Dudley, and thus show that Lily and James, hmm. those freaks, and Harry, this this freakish little boy who received no advantages yet somehow still uh, goes to a higher part of the Dominus hierarchy or uh, achieves something that they could never even imagine, that there's some element of envy or jealousy
1: there as well. Mm. Perfect. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how um, Harry is not... At this point, we, we don't get a whole lot from Harry. Like He doesn't really know what's going on most of the time. Um, but he isn't like he isn't resentful it seems like which is something at least um, and I think you see it pretty clearly with the uh, with the snake at the zoo sorry did you get did, did I cut out oh, okay yeah, yeah so like I want yeah. I wanted to kind of look at the the moment where he um, he's he's sort of like looking at the snake and um, has this kind of uh, connection with it uh, ten yeah, it's, it's it's um it's a really interesting symbol we were talking earlier about food, right? And so the boa constrictor, that's the snake that just like consumes its prey whole, right? It just like swallows things. Mm-hmm. Um but it's of course it's of course a harmless uh it's a harmless snake. It's it's not going to hurt anyone. It sort of like playfully nips at uh the, uh Dudley, right? And as it's on its way out. Uh so yeah, so there's like this this, uh, this likeness, I guess, between Harry and the snake, which we're supposed to be looking at. And um, he, seems to, he seems to kind of come into his own in, the, in that scene a little bit. Uh, he, What's interesting... he has, Yeah. yeah no, go go, well, I was just
0: going to say that in the Jungian psychology, that the snake as Ouroboros, or the, the snake that's eating its own tail, making a circle, is a symbol of the absolute unknown. And so one way to interpret snakes, which come out from the earth, As a symbol of nature is as a symbol of the unknown, that which comes from the grass unseen, that which bites the ankle of Eurydice, uh, the wife of Orpheus, the short-term wife of Orpheus, Um, and so when this snake sort of bites at Dudley's heels, I interpret that as something like the unknown coming after him, uh, as represented by, say, Harry, because and embodying creative thoughts or new thoughts or having dreams or harnessing this, this magical potential is himself the unknown, which makes it so easy for them to project a shadow onto or this or all the evil in their lives. And so it's like he's coming into his own because he is recognizing that potential within himself. And that is starting to cause problems for his family um, because he is shaping himself, he, or rather, he's taking shape um in a way different from before um at the onset of his adolescence i also sort of interpreted it with it rising up and looking at him in the eyes as sort of like like uh, adolescence like rearing up or he's almost as if like his new place in the world has reared up as he approaches uh you know the awakening of new motivational systems um
2: What, um, Wes, what did, what about that passage struck you or like that moment with the snake was, was like the most striking Um, to you?
1: Well, I like, I like that the snake, uh, is in captivity the same way as, as Harry, you know, Mm -hmm. he sort of like can empathize with that and connect with that. And the snake doesn't know it's home. You know, it's, it's, it's on its placard. It says it's from Brazil, but the snake has never been to Brazil, uh, but now that it's now that it's free by this mysterious moment of the vanishing glass, now it's headed home. You know, it's gonna it's gonna it's not gonna bother with getting revenge on anyone. It's just gonna go do what it wants to do. It's, it's
0: a, sort of like Odysseus yeah. getting off Calypso's island. It doesn't get angry at the circumstances of its existence It joyfully goes along its way, suggesting that rather you bent out of shape by our by our experiences, which we'll all have which are negative, which just Look at it as an opportunity to get home.
2: I, so, the, the thing about that passage that really struck me that moment was like what happened just before, which is where, so Dudley and his friend are like, they're bored um, by all the animals, they're bored by all the food. And to Alice's point earlier, like the very thing that they so desire is unsatisfying because they don't actually desire the thing for what it, it is they desire it for its novelty right or like with the, the gluttony idea that they're actually not they act the very thing that they desire is what ends up like taking them away from 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 true satisfaction but but just before um harry encounters the snake dudley like um taps on the the um on the window and um you know, he says, make it move, do it again. Like, you know, like, but the snake doesn't, is not bent to their will. Like, um, it, it just, it really reminded me of, I, so I, I I know I just mentioned I finished teaching the Tempest. I also just finished in my second semester, um, teaching for like the fourth or fifth time, the Lord of the Rings. And one of the, one of those like common tropes in a lot of fantasy literature I don't know if she's doing it deliberately or if it's just sort of something that happens kind of because it's a part of um like a common story but in in you know in Narnia and in Tolkien's legendarium in Earthsea even um uh and he I would say even in Harry Potter there's this idea that like nature um like the natural world has a life force and those who try to um interfere um with their own power and for their own gain usually end up um suffering because uh that nature has its own force and will revolt. I'm thinking like the Ents in Yeah. The the Ents in um the Two Towers are are the classic to me example that like, you know, Saruman cuts a bunch of them down for the wheels in Isengard and um then they all of a sudden march on Isengard and they tear it to pieces. Um because he did not consider them a threat, right? He did not consider their power um like a you know a wise fool. And so like Harry, Harry has this moment of compassion and gentility. There's a, a like a, a measure of wit um or flippancy in the way that he speaks to the boa constrictor, maybe not even knowing that it would respond to him. But there's just like a level of um like yeah. con- like congeniality, I suppose. Um yeah, like and like a, uh, yeah, sh- there's something that they share, and that whether or not, yeah, and and that it's when when Dudley tries to govern, thing you know like tap on the window, make it move. This is boring, do, you know, um, that that type of interaction with the natural world is one that that fails, at least in in fantasy literature. It fails. Um, it fails in yeah. the long run it so, might succeed in the, in the short run but it fails in the long and we see yeah. other examples of that right
0: and it's in disequilibrated the, in, in the piagetian sense in in that it can work once but it can't work in pattern so that's interesting because it makes me think that harry potter is something of a christian or christ-like figure and that because of his pathos because of the persecution of him by the sort of pontius Pilate-esque dursleys um it enables him to connect with another persecuted being and thus form a bond, um, which which is sort of like the Christian idea of union, right? Or an unio mystica, a bonding not mm. over race or language, but over pain, that which is most universal. And so, um, and so that's sort of what Dudley's problem is, right? He has sort of a, a Greco-Roman or barbaric pagan way of relating to the world, right? <laughs> He's either... Uh, beating you up or beating you with his stick—it's—it's pure—it's uh, its like purely masculine brutishness. It's like—it's like in the Iliad. There's a transition from the hero idea of Heracles of pure brute strength who goes around and kills everybody and has babies with everybody mm-hmm. to more more like cleverness with Odysseus. <laughs> that it's more the intelligent ones that uh, are the most successful than the strong ones or or the ones that are. Not simply brutes who, who enforce their will by force, because that inevitably brings up its opposite force to fight back against it, as you mm-hmm. l- mentioned with the Ents against Saruman, But um, that uh, what basically Dudley is doing is ensuring, as if you would you would take a view of history and that how the pagans subjected those around them would of course lead to a rise of the Christians, if it was if that's the ultimate slave uprising, you might say. Uh, mm. Harry as the ultimately persecuted place in a covered person because he's been beaten and battered by this pagan Dudley has developed this ultimate force of empathy, which will make him like a lodestone to those around him, which will connect him to those around him. So while Dudley is persecuting Harry, he has been cutting off his connections or ability to connect, whereas he has been giving Harry the potential or the power to connect with those around him and in an sort of ultimate fashion, Wes, I heard you saying something I, I I see
1: the I see the connections I think, but what I would ask then is like what again, I would go back to sort of the question about what's the what's the role of magic in these stories, um, because it seems like the magical world is very set mm-hmm. on staying hidden from the uh, everyday muggle world, and mm-hmm. it's not clear. From the beginning, why that is exactly we we just see that that is the case. Uh, We see this evidence that some muggles, at least who do know about magic, are are dangerous because they'll try to snuff it out wherever it wherever it appears. Um, But we also see that magic is clearly far superior um, in its compassion and in its kind of brute force, even uh, if it comes to that. Right. So, so Mm -hmm. I, I guess I see I see the connection. I see how Harry's a kind of a uh, christ-like figure in some sense but the whole point of the christian story right is that you go out and you tell everyone about it once you know it's there whereas the, the wizards keep it as a hidden thing so i find that interesting that's so
2: interesting i wonder if a. am not sure how to respond to that just because i i would also say that a, a big part of the christian of, of the of this of the story of not not necessarily christ but of christianity is not is that is that the telling of it must must coincide with the living of it and that insofar as it only is language um especially when i mean i'm i you know hate to bring up what's happening in our world right now but um you know when 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 the the words of christ are are used but the actions are not that's the greatest disincentive to the mission spreading or you know so i i i i'm not sure what the the hiddenness implies well,
0: there's uh, a hiddenness aspect too right the I, great mystery the mysterium tremendum and uh you know religions have always had an mm-hmm. idea of mystery them as well as i mean i think that's why the last book of the the new testament is revelation right it's figuring out the mystery or embodying the mystery so there there is a mysterious aspect like when dante writes and i mean and not only dante but william blake when uh, when all these authors write about like say the the ladder that leads to heaven that you can't see the top of or the depths of the ocean that you can't see the bottom of there is a connection between known and unknown. And it, it makes me think of that quote from the gospel of Thomas, the unions are so uh, fond of, which is um, the kingdom of heaven is all around us. And yet no one sees it, which reminds me of the world of magic, which is this underlying force in both the muggle mm-hmm. reality and the magical reality. And I, I don't know yet whether I want to say this, but I'm tempted to say that I almost wish it were just the case that the muggles simply could not see what the magical people were doing and, 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 saw themselves and there are moments of that right like getting into diagon alley you have to be able to see the the appropriate brick in order to get in there and um Mm -hmm. to get into platform nine and three quarters you have to sort of make this sort of leap of faith or you have to see that which is not there to those uh uh, around you and so it strikes me that it's sort of like the magic like imagination is sort of like the kingdom of heaven aspect that the ideal towards which people strive but also also that which is the formal cause of an ideal and so and, like it starts in your head and then it gets embodied in the world
2: yeah i i wonder west like that's i think that's such a great question like what why is magic necessary for this story um like uh is it simply for an allegor is it simply allegorical that like this this world of of wizards and witches is the world to which we would aspire I think one thing that like that always brought me back to these books was thinking about myself as you know obviously <laughs> muggle but what does what do I learn about being a good muggle or a good human being through a a world that's secondary sure. to my own you know like um And I I think that's part part of why these books are so powerful, and part of why they they have such a far reach is because despite, and the same is true for a lot of fantasy literature that in a secondary world you can do um, things that are um, both imminently recognizable yet arrestingly strange. To quote, um, you know, Doctor Tolkien himself, that like um, that that something in this that this work known and
0: unknown just (laughs) that.
2: No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. But like, um, oh man, I recognize school supply shopping, but it's arrestingly strange when you're buying a cauldron, right? Like, um, or th- that, um, there's sort of a prefiguration or like a, a foreshadowing of it in, I think, chapter two at the beginning, um, where they describe the mantle in the Dursley home as how like nothing changed except the pictures, um, on the mantelpiece. That showed how much time had passed, right? So in a way, the pictures are moving because they're changing, but they're not actually moving pictures the oh, way we'll soon see in, in like the in like the in the wizarding world, right? So there's something about that that we recognize, but we don't recognize. That's or yeah. I don't know. Um, and so I don't I don't I don't want to say that the I don't want to say that the wizarding world is pure purely an allegory for for what our lives could be like, should we, should we capitulate to this world of one, this, you know, our capacity to wonder and imagine and ask questions, but, but it seems to me like that might be a dimension of it. I wondered if, if like thinking about the actions and the words of the actual wizards in the, in chapters one and two, I guess, to a degree, um, in the way that Harry would describe them, um, might give us a clue as to what, I guess we were saying earlier that like Harry's suffering gives him Harry's suffering at the Dursleys gives him some kind of um, capacity for Mm -hmm. connection um, to to the world around him. Like, so do you think that like that Dumbledore knew that would happen by placing him at the Dursleys? I mean, like his decision to leave them there to, to like let him grow up. In this home, um, seems deliberate, um, and we're not given the exact magical reasons why. Though we are later in the series, why he has to be there. But um, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about, like, how can their actions and presence and character, as we know so far, maybe shed some light on this question of what what is the role yeah, of magic? No, I
1: think that's a a good a good question, a good way to look at the question. Absolutely. It, it always seems like, well, for one thing, Dumbledore always seems to know more than he says, which is, you know, the mark of, of true, true, <laughs> uh, true wisdom on his part. Because he he's he's made this choice, um, which uh, seems, yeah, clearly on the surface to be a really rough one for Harry, but in the long run, does seem to be in his best interest as far as forming him uh, into into the, the hero that he becomes. Um, the mm. the uh, the in, the in interruption uh, of of magic onto Privet Drive has so many really interesting little details that go with it, right? Like we see a um, flying motorcycle. I think that's another good, really really interesting image of like what magic is uh and and the places where Mm -hmm. it overlaps with the muggle world so you have enchanted objects like that and you have the lemon drops i really like the lemon drops where um this is this is a little moment where where, oh yeah um we see dumbledore's wisdom in his ability to see the good in the muggle world you know he's like "Uh, have you tried Mm -hmm. these they're Mm -hmm. like they're really good they're really something (laughs) Yeah, um, (laughs) um, but
2: uh talk about Talk about the capacity to take yeah. the light. I mean, he uh he's always described as having that twinkle in his eye, except for that one moment where where Rowling says like that actually the twinkling light that usually shone from his eyes has gone out for a for like a full minute. Um but that seems to be like one of his characteristics that we I don't know, maybe I don't often associate that with the really, really intellectually wise. that sometimes people who I find really really smart never seem to take delight well that in what they i think it strikes me as the study, difference you know?
0: between a philosopher and a scholar or wisdom and intelligence because sort of the idea of a twinkle hmm. is that there is an active force of light reflecting itself off a reflective surface. So it's an image of the logos because something active is happening at that moment. So it's as if his twinkle is him producing new understanding from an active understanding of the situation whenever he's there. So there, even he is a symbol of what is known and Mm -hmm. unknown because even though he is himself physically an embodiment of that, which is known like the old wise man, he's always seeing something new in the situation or something that you don't quite Mm -hmm. see. And so, what is delight? Well, delight seems to be when you have a pure experience of some of joy of f- given to you by an object, or or even uh, delight seems to be when you when you take person. pure joy in the presence of something. And uh, what makes it joyful? Well, not the fact that it's known to you, even though it has to be known to some extent. You need to know that it is candy or a person. You need to be able to categorize the experience, <laughs> but precisely sort of the novelty of the experience too. And so what strikes me as what makes him wise and what makes a person wise is that he can see that um, he knows the questions to ask or he can see the small things in a situation Mm. that make the situation unique or capable of being appreciated. Mm. He doesn't simply try and box things up as they have always been and write them off, but see things as they currently are in this moment. And so it makes it seem as if wisdom is more mm. observational, like empirical seeing a, a, seeing more of what is there in sort of a Sherlock Holmes way, rather than a, a simply categorizing of everything and dismissing it in sort of an intellectual way, mm. which is, well, I, I heard y'all do it. I don't want to tangent too much. Yeah. So yeah, that's my piece for now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I,
1: I think the, um, the point that Dumbledore uh, enters the story um, is is very interesting because what he does when he first comes on the scene is is take the light away. Yes, right? he, put, he puts out the light. Mm. Uh, Twelve. And sort of. He brings it. He brings it into his um, into his outer. His outer. Uh, out put put out out <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, Later
0: gets renamed to the De Illuminator, I believe, in the third one. Yeah.
1: So again, he. Uh, He's a sort of interesting um, Luciferian figure in that way, right? He's he's got that element of of taking the light, and uh, whether it's with this the shine uh, the glitter in his eye or you know the twinkling in his eye, or with uh, taking the illumination off the street so that his uh, his his charge is going to be um, protected and, and taken care of. Uh, his he can hide, he can cover yeah. just as he can reveal. His yeah, his, his insight uh, is always a little bit beyond the other characters, and I, I think that's an I think he's an interesting image of the author in that way. Um, you know, there's there's like mm. the famous story I think of uh, how J.K. Rowling had this idea and like wrote it all down like it came in a flash of insight, right? She she like had the the whole thing um, just like bam, um, and that to me uh, is is a is a bit misleading i think because clearly you as as she wrote the story she did change things like that little detail of the name of the, the put out or, or whatever it is so it's not like she had the whole thing in all of its complexity but she did have it in a kind of burst of insight which wasn't um completely rational right so that's kind of it's interesting you know, it's interesting that Dumbledore's the same way uh, he sort of sees the big picture
0: that's interesting too because in the end virgil's Aeneid, Aeneas hears multiple prophecies from um, the sons of Priam-Helenus, who's potentially a traitor, as well as from a harp, harpy named Kalino. And everything in his life seems to be mapped out already um, on his way to uh, the new Troy, Latium. Mm. Um, but uh, what happens at the end of book three is, even though he's received all these prophecies and you think he knows everything about his future, is that his father dies suddenly, mm. which is awful. And so it's sort of so it, it, it incredibly supports your point that it's even if you can, in a flash of insight, see the giant general picture, or the pattern of your life or uh, the meaning of it. You don't you still have to fill in all the details and make all the choices and embody it in the way that you're going to. That even if, Yeah, go on, I th- Sarah.
2: I, I was just going to say, I think it I think, Wes, when you said that it makes Dumbledore like Rowling, I think it it ascribes. And this is something that I'm I'm always continually in awe of every time I read these books. And I think, Alex, you were saying this, um, like maybe via text earlier this week that like, oh, my God, there's so much here or how like how clever of her to have used that word in Latin combined with this word in French or how clever of her to look up the Aramaic for uh, for this or. Uh, and and maybe maybe she didn't maybe but I have a hard time assuming that or not or or like I I just I'm always kind of struck with wonder at like how well um this is put together and I mean look at the 20 years of industry that has has had that this series the series of seven books has generated um blogs and podcasts and games and you know it's there's a legendarium there's a there's an entire world at Disney. Like, um, there's something about what Dumbledore does and what Rowling does that Tolkien called like sub-creation. Mm-hmm. That like it, it's it's the it's the power that we ascribe to a god to make things, like to con to conjure a world. And it's 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 wizard-like, it's elvish, it's yeah. it's and, and and it's magic. And it's and instead of like a wand and incantations her skills are knowledge and words and happening to put them down in a really clever and appealing fashion but um it's i and I, I think that that's a really apt way of like looking at dumbledore like and when he takes out the lights um it's if we see him as kind of an analog for her in some ways um you know i'm sure he represents more than that but um, if we see that as sort of a similar act, then that's kind of like how the, the author chooses to reveal only parts of things to the reader um, as a way to, yeah, to as a way to kind of keep the magic going, right? I think of like the way Prospero conjures um, this big mask okay. for his, for his daughter and her betrothed as a way of like trying to teach something that he couldn't otherwise teach but he needs a story to do it. And so he reveals it in certain ways at certain times. And um, there's something like, it's, kind of, I mean, like the, the cynical way of looking at it is it's puppeteer-esque. Well, I, but,
0: see it, I see it more know? like, I see it more like a story, just like a life, just like a musical piece, just like language itself, lays it out and itself out in time. So it lays itself mm-hmm. out piece by piece, but also as a whole all at once and so in a story you're bound by the fact that you use language and your eyes move left to right and it takes time and you have to go page by page but it's all unfolding as one just like in a life Mm -hmm. you know your events happen one by one but they exist in time and it's all connected together and just like music like when is uh, and during a musical piece what is the most important part it's like well that's kind of a ridiculous question they're all the part um just sort of like if you were like okay which is your most important part as a human i mean you might say your head but it's like you you still want most of them and so again that, that like draws back to the theme of that which is like having the general pattern but choosing out the details it makes me think because wes and i had a conversation a while ago where we suggested and wes you can disagree with this if i put it wrong that kind of the idea of fiction is applying, um, the general structure of reality as we perceive it to a new terrain where, so everything is familiar and unfamiliar, like Tolkien said, all at once. Mm -hmm. So like the physics of the world and the particular, like say races or peoples of the world and the languages of the world and the customs of the world are all different, but those superordinate categories exist, like different peoples, different Mm -hmm. languages, different, uh, 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 ways of being or philosophies of people, different religions. And like you were saying, that could play the Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or even the Tempest. or um, uh, Yeah.
2: Absol- absolutely. I think that that's, well, that's certainly, um, I mean, I'm just, I'm when I taught fantasy literature, we use this one essay that Tolkien wrote and delivered in like the 1930s. And that's what he said is like the heart, not just of like, realistic fiction but speculative fiction is what he was talking about in general but but i think that makes sense that like um uh that secondary world that you create if it's realistic fiction it looks like hmm. our world um but it's um so it's like it's true and not true right or it's it, it but it's dealing with different kinds of truths um i, I suppose i i think that's a really apt well, way it teaches to us about,
0: about what, what's fiction. real about ourselves too because well, right. we, because it wouldn't even a story wouldn't make any sense to us if it didn't embody us in some way. Like E.O. Wilson, this famous biologist from Harvard, says that even if we could communicate with can- ants, we wouldn't have anything to talk about with them. And, you know, they, they like, you know, like they're probably thinking about this. They're, they're not even thinking. Right. But like they're sensing this sort of dirt thing going on. And you're thinking about the newest symphony or Harry Potter or something. Like there's just yeah. no way to connect because you're different sorts of beings, and so when we impose on literature—not impose, but create—we we take sort of our natural presuppositions about existence and put them onto mm-hmm. this new terrain in order. It seems uh, not simply to not simply to make something that we can escape from reality with, but in order to understand ourselves and our reality better, to sort of as a reflection.
2: And that's exactly what, I mean, that's exactly what he says. And I think that you know, that um, this is sort of like super zooming out on the project of Harry Potter as a whole, but, um, and Alex, I don't know, you know more about this than I do, but I did read these like articles about uh, psychological or ed psych studies that use the use of Harry Potter in schools um, uh, to teach um, like character concepts like empathy Mm. for example and that and then not just harry potter but the use of like they like this there were people studying you know does reading fiction in general or does reading literary fiction in specific or does reading harry potter in specific does it make you a more empathetic person um and that was that was the question and by and large the conclusion from these studies was yes um yeah that's it with with qualifications right neuroscientists. i don't i don't i don't I don't know how legit any of this stuff is. I, I know that I read it in like psychology today. So I don't know if that's, if it's, you know.
0: Um, it's legit as far as educational psychology ever goes. Um, but one, okay. one, one thing I'll, <laughs> I'll just mention on that, just because I guess I'll mention facts like these every now and then, is that these two neuroscientists who wrote A Billion Wicked Thoughts basically found out through web aggregates and through romance novel sales that um, it, is, it is more the case that empathetic people tend to read more fiction. Um, and that that they tend to be women, and that men tend to be, uh, they tend, when they read, tend to read (laughs) non-fiction. Which is interesting, because then the idea is that they they read in order to learn facts, whereas the more empathetic people read in order to explore relationships, um, to see how Mm -hmm. people would act in conjunction with each other. Uh, And so, that's sort of interesting, that sort of, even along sort of gender or temperamental lines, whichever one you want to go with uh uh we find sort of a distinction between mythos and logos or eros and logos or sort of empathy and yeah. compassion and relationships and sort of learning or producing or sharpening on the other on the other hand uh or the cutting capacity And so uh you know
2: well, well then well then so but like think about like to your to your point previously about like it, it has to teach you something about your life that like that, um, I don't know that even in the most escapist, crazy, most imaginative, most speculative of fictions, uh, be it on television or in the movies or in a book, there's something about it that's, um, it's an escape, which is why I think for a long time, that type of, um, entertainment gets categorized as childlike because it's, because it, it's, um, you know, to the, to the, to the adult without an imagination whose imagination hasn't been cultivated through years of of reading and practice because i think an imagination
0: takes practice i think that's so dismissive Uh, just to say this really quickly because it's like because a story is given to all our children that does not make it less important that makes it profoundly more important in shaping the individual and so and so these are the most important stories not the least important
2: and also, not all kids like this stuff, so assuming that you know like not all kids like like these types of books, so you can't relegate it to the nursery just because it involves you know flying motorbikes or something like that, and kids kids don't know that not all motorbikes fly, so of course they're more predisposed to believe that or something like That's that not but,
0: all of them fly but <laughs>
2: hey there could be one somewhere That's i don't true, know true. i've seen those like evil knievel shows and they look like we're they getting swag. pretty old
0: so um, we don't know what's hip anymore so we'll have to have some of our students listen to this and tell, it, <laughs> and tell us what's new because we don't even know
2: <laughs> but i i was just gonna say that like something is only valuable as an escape provided it's a temporary hmm. escape like a vacation. right like um yeah. Otherwise, it's. Des- I mean, otherwise, what it gets to me, and this is again, oh, I'm not I'm saying my own ideas. This is just. Oh, well, otherwise, it's mm-hmm. desertion. Um, you're not escape. I mean, es- escape. To me, is if, if it's if it's permanent, then you've 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 dismissed the primary world as yeah. Um or the thing that you're trying to escape from is unsolvable, and in. I don't up. think that that yeah. I don't think that that's it. I don't I don't think I don't think that that's yeah. I don't think I, that that's healthy. I think it's
0: more like an adventure like you go out into mm-hmm. the unknown to face the dragon and to acquire the treasure or a meta adventure where you you see the path by which of uh, the character with the the uh who makes the right or the choices necessary to get what he wants and faces the dangers necessary with the the correct attributes like courage and humility that in seeing that general structure and many people seem to be attracted to it by the fact that this is a bestseller in so many different countries that, um, what a story teaches you to do is how to mine for gold, both within yourself and within the world, that it, it's not so much an escape, uh, that it's, it is a, 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 a vessel of transformation, like a fire ship or like a university or like Hogwarts. It's mm-hmm. a place of gestation. You go there to form, form yourself. you you make, in making the story part of yourself, you inform yourself differently and newly, and uh, help to structure within yourself the path of the hero and the failing paths of the villains as well. You're not you're not getting away from the world so much as bringing something into yourself, which will help you shape the world. I think.
1: The um, the there's two things that I was thinking about with respect to to the the hero that we're presented with here and the idea of escape um he's a hero in that he escapes death in, mm-hmm. in in that in that early scene that we don't we don't see it he doesn't know what happened but he has these flashbacks of the green the green light and all he remembers is the flying motorcycle. Mm-hmm. and he uh, he, so he's uh and, and that, that essay on fairy stories um is a great one i think it would probably behoove us to read it yes. next time. Mm-hmm. So- Especially at the end of that essay, Tolkien a great deal oh, yeah. about the idea that there is one story which is paramount, um, and for him, for him as a mm-hmm. Christian, of course, that, that's the story, uh, the story of salvation. And I think that's the word he'd use rather than escape um, about this idea, yes. right? So, so Harry's an interesting hero in that he doesn't actively do anything up front; he just lives, right? And that's great. I think it's such mm-hmm. a, a rich metaphor or thing to, thing to think about. But then um, on the back end, of course, he has plenty of adventure. So you, you kind of get it coming and going. Um, and what I would say about as far as the popularity of the book and and sort of what it taps into, uh, yeah, clearly people are starved for stories like this. You know, Like it has generated this huge market, which has been flooded with all kinds of great stuff. Uh, what I would say, though, is that this this book is a kind of cauldron into which J.K. Rowling threw so much great stuff that existed before. And, and as far as, you know, this mm-hmm. book is a kind of archway, like the cover you're talking about. It leads you back to those things that are much, I mean, let's just say it, they're much better than this book, like the biblical story or, like, all these myths that you're sort of referencing. You know, like, this book invites you to go back and look at those things anew. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: Wes, West, is there, like like when did you come I mean I guess this is a question for for both of you and like when did you come to read them and and enjoy them and like what were the circumstances for you or or what you know was it something worth marking or no and is there anything that like I, I think I guess um is there anything that you feel like has been opened more for you as you as you mentioned like as an like this as a gateway I mean, because it's often described as like a gateway read for kids like this is how they learn to read this is how they discover that reading is fun and it becomes a gateway you know into new things as opposed to back to old things so yeah for me I
1: mean I I read these books over and over as a kid each time a new one came out I would read all the ones that had come before it so I was fresh fresh on the story and everything going on like I, I, I I never tired of these stories um I wouldn't say they were my favorite stories as a kid or that they taught me to read exactly, but they, they were just, you know, super enjoyable. Like I I would just, Mm -hmm. I would just um, devour these books. So, yeah. Yeah. And, And before I answer that, I want to respond
0: to something you said, Wes, because I think it emphasizes a point we said earlier, which is interesting because Voldemort tries to kill Harry, but what survives life survives. He's not actively attempting to survive. He's been protected by sort of the love of his mother. And so it's like mother nature or nature, has protected him, suggesting that if Voldemort is like the devil to Albus Dumbledore's god, that they and being two parts of the same coin still represent something which is uh, which nature goes beyond, in the same way that, say, primordial night in the Iliad Zeus refuses to go towards because he is a principle of order and it's a an uh, principle of sort of pure chaos or nature, something that goes beyond him or that he can interact with mm. but not fully understand And so it strikes me that what comes through there is life. What, and and so that was, that was just very interesting to me, but how I came to these, these books, and I think that's a great question, Sarah, is that, um, it's funny. I I lived by these neighbors growing up who were very much into fantasy fiction. And they would give me some, and I I grew up reading Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman and, uh, Philip Pullman, like, um, like, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Wes, but especially Raymond D. Feist, who had a lot of books too. And I later R.A. Salvatore with, um, with um Dritz who was like a dark elf so very nerdy stuff and uh <laughs> so when i was first given harry potter i sort of turned up my nose at it i was like this is not pure fantasy like it starts in the real world and then goes to this place and i was like how good could it be and well many i 3 a.m and I, I was 11 when i first got it many 3 a.m nights after that uh I, I learned just how good it really was so i was sort of an awkward 11 year old too seen an awkward 11-year-old sort of escape his confines and go to a better place. Well, I I had earlier in my life always hoped that the Polar Express would come take me away. And so this took on that new manifestation of the sort of archetypal or magical thing which takes you to the place where you will be recognized for all the gifts you have that your current place does not see Mm -hmm. in you. So little did I know that that's actually That has to be active, that that's an archetype of transformation or self-salvation rather than waiting for Godot or waiting for something outside yourself to come wait for you. The owl comes from within. The inspiration comes from within. And I would say that's sort of, if I look at the gateway metaphor, what I see this for now, not only reconnecting with you two, which has been a wonderful part of this whole project, but Mm -hmm. connecting to something new as well. That, again, there's that element of the known, the book, but also the unknown, what's going to come out of our reading of the book this time what new information are we going to generate how how are we going to see the world differently after this because i feel like that's what a course of study truly is all about that at the end of it we're new and i mean i recall that you actually <laughs> <was> <laughs> made fun of our mutual friend mr joe McDonnell re- once where he claimed that every year he had won trivia at saint john's and you sort of uh cleverly said to me well so did he learn anything while he was here and uh, I, I remember we both laughed very, very hard at that. And I, I'm still laughing quite a bit <laughs> about, about that now, but you know, it's the idea that we're touching on something we all know we love, but know that we can love deeper. And, and whether that be like the relationships we have with each other or, or the book itself, it's like, it's just increasing. It's our wisdom and our connection and thus love at the same time. And so it's like magic and that it can both separate and bring together. And like we know with magic, it can heal, but it can also kill.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Just to go on a long screed. Oh yeah, uh, Sarah, Sarah, finish up the, uh, put a bow on it. Where did you come to these books and, and when? Did we lose Sarah? Uh, it sounds
0: that way. Uh oh. Well. Do you know what time we're at then, Wes? I, I'm not trying to loop her out like this, but uh-huh. maybe this is a good time to to end, or we can we can always call her up on the next segment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I think it's it feels like time it feels like time. But okay, well, y'all, we'll think up a segment for this soon. Perhaps we'll call and add another segment to this. We'll hash that out right now, and thank you for listening in. All right, Wes, let's get to work. Thanks. <laughs> all right and we're back after a small snafu and so the question goes to you miss miss sarah miller uh, oh man
2: what- sorry for the technical difficulties and uh, that it is happens total, all the time totally operator error um <laughs> so i was gonna say that um first of all i really liked what both of you guys shared about how you came to the to the series i think i came to it actually oddly like via competition um my which isn't that odd once you get to know me because i like to compete but um but my brother was reading them um he was read so um i really liked alex's podcast about the american version we were always kind of snobby in my house and had the british version
1: Mm. um
2: and my brother was reading it on a family vacation um to central oregon and um he was really into it and he was talking about it at the dinner table. And I, I guess maybe I didn't like the attention that he was getting or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, 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 when he was done, I asked my mom if I could read it for 30 minutes and she said, yes. And he was livid. <laughs> um, and, and, um, because you know, he was close to being done and anyway, so we traded the book back and forth with each other 30 minutes a piece over the rest of our vacation. And, And, and ultimately, despite the rocky start, it was something that we both really liked. And there weren't very many things that my brother and I had in common. Mm. I suppose, you know, we liked the same kind of bagel and we both liked to play golf and uh, we liked Indiana Jones and superhero stuff, but, um, you know, we had really different and to this day have really different personalities that we've since Mm. been able to, to bridge through friendship as adults, but we fought a lot as kids as evidenced by the fact that we fought over a book. Um,
0: <laughs> we all have that in common. We all have <laughs> siblings, which, uh, yeah. Which you is, find <laughs> with.
2: yeah and, Final um, Fantasy
0: eight was like that with my sister. <laughs> younger.
2: Um, and so it sort of reoccurred every time a book came out, we would get one and we would uh, trade it off. Like one person got it for one night another next person. then it became a competition. Like how far could you get? And Andy's a really fast reader. So I never, never could keep up. Um, eventually my parents realized that it was better for everyone involved if we just bought two copies <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and we would uh, we would just devour the books and then of course the movie started to come out and we were i was a teenager so it'd be fun to go with my friends to the midnight showing and um and what i found as i started to come back to them i started to reread them in college was that i um I, I noticed that what I appreciated about the books changed. The, old. Um, mm. the the closer and the the richer I found my own friendships becoming, um, the more I um, appreciated the side characters, the, like the mm. non the non Harry, Ron, Hermione characters who who offered, um, you know, real friendship and insight, like the people like Luna and Neville and, and Ginny and, and, and Seamus and all of them, and the, the Weasley twins. And I think the, mm. the, the more I started to become a teacher, the more I uh, saw that some of the professors had like really beautiful relationships with their students that were characterized mm. by cura personalis and these, these things that meant a lot to me, but I didn't know what they, I didn't have vocabulary for them. And I think then, as you know, when I went to St. John's, as I was reading um, for in my literature segment, it didn't really happen in that segment. Honestly, when I was reading in like the philosophy and theology segment was the first time mm. where I started to see that, like, oh, my goodness, there are. I always knew that there was like mythology behind these stories, but I didn't know how much um, like uh I don't know theological depth there was, hmm. and so then when I got a chance to teach the books, it again it just changed, it changed them. So so to me, like I to me they are um, a great book insofar as they continually have something to say. You know, I know that that's not always true of 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 books that are published. You know, to, in these in the in the contemporary era, but um, and we can't Where really. Yeah, we can't we can't always say for sure if something will always have something to say. But to me, they've always had something to say um, in terms of like something I was interested in. And I think the more that I um, think about them, um, you know, I listened to the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast. And I never really thought about approaching Harry Potter as a sacred text, um, you know, with its own um, holiness and like treating it as an opportunity for spiritual growth. I'd never really thought about that. Um, and I still have some reservations about some of the places that they go with their conversations, but, but it is fun to think about. Um, and I, I, I think I just, I really appreciate the series for, for exposing a lot of like opportunities for ideas to come into conversation with one another. That's one of my favorite things about these types of conversations about St. John's in general, about, um, I don't know, about learning that I think like synthetic thinking where you tie together so many different things, um, Mm. you know, and even in this conversation alone, we've talked about, we've mentioned so many different types of texts and ideas that all seem to be happening um, at the same time. I think that that's just the coolest part of learning. Um, it's, it's the part of learning that makes me filled with like awe and wonder for what can know, um, and how we can think. And, um, I, I, I don't know. I I think that's the magic of, of learning is when that thing that you're learning in science class is related to that thing you're learning in philosophy, which is related to that thing you're learning in math. Mm -hmm. Like, like that, that type of education to me is like, is the height it's the pinnacle, um, and, and like anything that puts those ideas in, in conversation in a creative fashion that like, uh, I I don't know. I, 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 I have a hard time putting it. Yeah. I have a hard time really being fully articulate about it, but I think, um, Mm. that that's the, that's the, the, the thing that, that keeps me coming back is like how much more, um, Uh, how many more threads can I start to weave into this? And, and how much more delight can I take out of it? So somebody like Dumbledore who, you know, who, who takes real delight in things, um, you know, I I think that that's just such an appealing part of, of his character, you know, just to, to kind of leave it there. I thought, you know, I think that's, that's I think that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's part of what's magical. And I
0: mean, I think think that education is practical and that Mm -hmm. even that which seems the most speculative can end up being that which has practical application in ways one never imagined, which is Mm -hmm. sort of the opposite of what Dolores Umbridge wants for the defense against the dark arts education, right? She says, why would you ever have to do magic? Why would you ever have to use spells? You'll be perfectly safe. And so it seems as if you're an opposite sort of teacher to her. And so you're the sort of teacher we want to have.
2: It's, it's 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 the it's the opportunity to talk about like really timeless questions and yet somebody like Dolores Umbridge or that that entire story that entire episode is an opportunity to talk about really timely questions like mm, like the role correct. of government in yep. education or um how do we treat the other in a in a in a time period of fear and mistrust of an outside threat like what do you do mm-hmm. with people who are different what like, do the centaurs
0: do with her after they drag her off
2: yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> like but just like i think and all fantasy literature does i really like all great books do that like give you a chance to talk about timely and timeless things but i don't know harry potter just has always done that for me um and so yeah that's that's why i like it
0: but well mr wesley Chance, miss sarah miller uh there's so much more to say yep. but we've uh, we've hit sort of our our imposed time limit. You know, yeah. every spell oh, yeah. must have its beginning and its end, as we said, and so we'll we'll put this up, and uh, I think we'll 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 nail down how often we want to do this. Hopefully, okay. as often as possible. I thought <laughs> I th- I think this is I mean this is a great this is a great delight. Sharing yeah, the stage this is fun. Both
1: of you.
2: Um. And yeah, and we can we we'll just touch base later about things we want to things we want to continue. All right. Awesome.
0: All right, until next time, y'all.
2: It's good to be with That's you cool. virtually. I'll uh, <laughs> <Yep>. t- <laughs> see you later.
0: All right, <laughs> next see time. Putting down the turnkey. <laughs>